Let's take our Bibles and go to uh, the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, and we'll just start right there in chapter number one, Daniel chapter number one. We have been on a hiatus from the book of Daniel. Uh, We went on the hiatus in the month of December where we didn't really have a normal evening service uh, throughout that entire month with all the programs we had planned. And then as we got into this year, um, the Lord just led in a different direction as we started the year. And so I'm excited. We made it through the first six chapters of Daniel, and we're going to be entering into the, the last six chapters of the, the book of Daniel, um, and I'm, I'm very, very much looking forward to getting into it. Um, but before we get there, I'm going to do a little bit of a recap of the first six chapters with the time that we have remaining here tonight. Uh, just a little bit of a review and some important applications for us as we get ready to head into the last six chapters of Daniel. Now, let me remind you, um, the book of Daniel is a book that's all about kings and kingdoms. That's what we have uh, given a subtitle of for the series, the book of Daniel, Kings and Kingdoms, because the first six chapters of Daniel is all about the history that surrounded some significant kings throughout the, the history of Israel. And the last six chapters of Daniel are all about the kingdoms, the kingdoms of the world. In other words, you've probably heard it said before, reference made to Daniel's prophecy. And in Daniel chapter 7 through chapter 12, we have some of the most critical Bible prophecy in all of the Scripture. And it is going to be a wonderful study. Um, Some of you love Bible prophecy. How many of you just love to study Bible prophecy? How many of you would rather poke your eyes out than study Bible? I'm just kidding, okay? Um, But anyways, (laughs) Uh, some people love Bible prophecy. Some people don't because it gets really technical. Um, But I'll tell you this. You read the first chapter of the book of Revelation, and one of the things you'll read there is that in studying the prophecy of Scripture, and specifically the book of Revelation, that's the only book as you start it that there's a promise that literally you'll be blessed for studying the truth that's therein. And if you want hope for the time that we're living in today, um, the, one of the greatest measures of hope that we have is in looking to the promises and the prophecies that God has given us about things to come. And so I'm excited to get started uh, in that study of prophecy. Uh, We'll not do that tonight. Going to do a little bit of a recap of of the book of Daniel uh, before we get into that study. But uh, we're going to have a good time doing it. And so uh, I want to start tonight in Daniel chapter 1, and we'll read verse number 20 in just a minute. What the Lord has spoken to my heart to deliver to you all tonight as a church is a very simple message. Um, very simple applications, and, uh, uh, but I do believe that these are things that can greatly help us in our spiritual life. Um, and so I'm looking forward to, to sharing this with you. One of the things we've learned from studying the life of Daniel is that from very early on, Daniel began to develop some habits of what I would say excellence in his life that set him a cut above the rest, so to speak. And we see this demonstrated not only of Daniel, but of his companions. Remember, Daniel's the one that was the leader of the group. And look what the Bible tells us about him in Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 20. If you're with me, say amen. The Bible says in Daniel 1.20, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his 
realm. Um, Later on, that was when Daniel was very young. Later on in Daniel's life, when he was in his middle ages, same testimony was given of him. Go over to chapter 5 with me. Chapter 5, and let's look at verse number 11. Belshazzar, the king, was panicked and didn't know what to do to solve a problem that he had found himself in. Grandmother came, who was Nebuchadnezzar's wife. We've studied that in the past. And this is what she told him in verse 11. She said, There is a man in thy kingdom whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, for as much, listen to this, as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Ten times better is what they were found to be when they were young. Now, as he's grown grown older, still he has a testimony of having this excellence about him. And throughout Daniel's life, he began to do some things as God helped him to grow spiritually, set him in a position of excellence above all the other people that lived during his time period. Even in his later years, into his 80s, some of the last words we read about Daniel are in Daniel chapter 6, and in Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse number 3. This is what the Bible records of him. And this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because of what? Excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. The word excellent that's used several times throughout the book of Daniel comes from the Hebrew word yatir, and it literally speaks of being extraordinary, cut above the rest. And as we look at the life of Daniel, and we've studied it extensively in months past, what we can certainly understand is that there was something extraordinary, extraordinary about the way that Daniel lived his life. What was so extraordinary about him? Well, if you look at Daniel's testimony, all throughout the first chapters, first six chapters of Daniel, he never takes credit for anything. He always gives credit to God. And we could go back and look through these same chapters, and I could show you in almost every one of them how Daniel says, I can't give you that answer, but God can. I can't solve your problem, but God can. And he always gave credit to God. And the truth of the matter is, the only reason Daniel was worth anything was because of God. And yet there was a volitional part on Daniel's part too. Right? God was more than willing to work through Daniel, but Daniel was also a man who was willing to let God work in his life. I'll say to you, there's no such thing as super Christians. Sometimes you look at somebody and say, well, I could never be like that. I mean, they're like a walking Bible. They walk around everywhere and they know it all. Oh, they're so godly. I think, well, I'll never be like them. Someone is godly. The only reason they are is because they've surrendered to God and let God have his way in their life. Right? There are no super Christians. There are just individuals who surrender their lives to the Lord and let God work through them. I believe that's the kind of man that Daniel was. And he's a great example for us as the children of God today. And so we find that as Daniel lived by faith in God, God enabled him to develop some habits of excellence that set him 
far above the rest in his lifetime. And I think that we can learn so much from these habits that Daniel developed in his life. Let me say before we jump into these, I believe that every Christian live a life of excellence. I believe that when the world looks on people who claim to be believers, they should be able to say there's something different about them. Now, I believe that we should work hard and strive to be the best in everything that we do, but I'm not necessarily saying Christians should be the most gifted of all people, that we should be the smartest of all people, that we should be the richest of all people. In fact, I'm not saying that at all. It's not the kind of difference that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual caliber of excellence that shows up in the day-to-day routines and habits of your life. And the Bible alludes to this. If you keep your place in the book of Daniel, jump over to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. I was informed by some well-intentioned individuals that while I was gone, every service ended early. Enjoy it while it lasted. I'll try to be good tonight. First <laughs> Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. The Bible says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, listen to this, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. So, dearly beloved, I beseech you, I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, having your conversation or your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles, or the unbelievers, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. One of the ways... That we can demonstrate excellence in every day by the good works that we do, which others behold. Look at them, and they say there's something different about that person, and then the end result is that they glorify God. They give God the glory. And that's ultimately what we desire for every person that we influence in our life is that they would come to the same faith in God that you and I have. I was reading a book by Rick Flanders. It's a book called Back to Normal. It's about revival. I strongly encourage you to read it. Um, If you're a reader, it's a great book on revival. In the book, he wrote these words. He said, most Christians live so abnormally that if we ever got back to normal Christianity, any in the world would view it as extraordinary. I read that and thought, how sad, how true. We We have settled as Christians to live a subpar caliber of life. Really, all we're going to talk about tonight is living the normal Christian life. I'm not giving you a prescription of things that if you do them, you'll be a super Christian. Everything we're going to talk about tonight that Daniel exhibited are spiritual habits that really ought to be normal in our lives as believers. And when they become normal in our lives as believers, the world sees it and says there's something different about them. It's something that attracts people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we desperately need a revival of God's people allowing God to work in their lives to develop these spiritual habits of excellence. And so what are they? As we look at the life of Daniel uh, and we look over these first uh, six chapters of Daniel, 
we'll notice five habits of excellence that God developed in his life. And these are five habits of excellence I believe God wants to develop in our lives as well. And so let's begin with the first one. Number one, a habit of separation. Habit of separation. Look at Daniel chapter 1. And we're not going to read all these passages because that would take us quite a while. And uh, you all have already hinted that you fully expect me to end early, okay? Um, But Daniel, we know he was stolen from his homeland as a young man and drugged to be a slave in Babylon. Um, Because of his prestigious birth, he was picked out and they put him in the public school system of Babylon and began to try to immerse him in a pagan culture and to make him Babylonian rob him of his heritage as an Israelite, and to make him Babylonian. And yet in spite of all this, in spite of all this pressure and opposition that he faced when he was the age of some of you teenagers and younger than some of your teenagers even, in spite of this opposition he faced, we read in Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 8, if you go back over there, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel's choice to separate from the world came with great opposition. Everyone else, including most of the other Israelites who had been taken captive, were going along with what they were told they were supposed to do were partaking of meat, that Daniel and his friends had been raised up, they weren't supposed to partake of it, and drinking of uh, unholy wine, which they had been brought up, they they were not supposed to partake of. But Daniel, and because of his influence, his three friends, they were the only ones who decided, no, I'm not going to do that. They decided to take a stand to separate from the world. And this became a staple habit throughout the life of Daniel. He lived a life of separation. And that's so, un- so important for us to understand. And until uh, the day that I die, I will not stop emphasizing the importance of separation. And it's still a distinctive Baptist doctrine. But more, more importantly, it's a distri- distinctive of the Scripture which we get our doctrine. That is separation. Church is supposed to be separate from the world. Let me quote you some scripture. You can write this down. You can turn there if you'd like. For sake of time, I'm not going to take the time for all of us to turn there. So you can write it down. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. The Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be you separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. You heard it said before. Yes, we are to live in the world, but we are not to be of the world. We are not to, and we talked about this a little bit this morning too, with so many churches that they have changed their philosophy. They say, well, we have to become like the world in order to reach the world. That is not what the scriptures teach. The Bible tells us we come out of the world, we live distinct lives that honor the Lord and honor the teaching of his word. That's one of the ways that a believer ought to be identified. Now, I understand that some people, they find their whole identity, religiously speaking, their keeping of all of their prestigious rules. This is not necessarily what I'm talking about here. There are, there are some things that we, ought to, we should, as believers, purpose in our heart we're not going to partake of. Um, things that dishonor the Lord, dishonor His Word, and Daniel, one of his habits of excellence was the fact that when he got pushed into trying to do something he knew God didn't want him to do, he did not hesitate to say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. That should be a habit that 
you and I as believers continually are developing, or I should say are allowing the Holy Spirit of God to develop in our life. There's some places you should you shouldn't go. There are some conversations you, you shouldn't have, and I could go on and on and on about these things, but the fact is the Holy Spirit is a better applier of the principle than I am, and, and I dare say if you've been struggling in this area, perhaps the Spirit of God is convicting your heart about something that's been taking place in your life you know you should separate from, but you haven't been. And the Bible is very clear that one of the habits of excellence Daniel had and that we should share as believers is the habit of separation. Let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. It says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to your formal lusts and your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or of your lifestyle. Because it is written, be you holy, for I am holy. God does have the expectation of holiness from his people. And uh, it's important that we uh, uh, understand that this is something that should be a regular habit in our life. And uh, we've talked about this when we studied Daniel earlier, but the reality is if you don't purpose in your heart that you are not going to do certain things, when the temptation comes, more likely than not, you will succumb to it. That's why as the people of God, as we learn truth from God's Word, we've got to make decisions to separate ourselves from those vices so that we can live the type of godly lives that God has commanded us to live in His Word. And, uh, and so Daniel, the first habit we see he had was a habit of separation. Let's look at number two. Number two, there was a habit of seeking, a habit of seeking the Lord. And, and this, is, this, this we see in many places, but we'll look in Daniel chapter number 2. So by the time we get to Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's now been officially the king for two years. And we don't know exactly what that tells us because we don't know exactly how long Nebuchadnezzar's father lived and how that transition, transition took place. But uh, suffice it to say, we're a couple years down the road now in Daniel's life as well. He's made the decision to uh, not defile himself, but now the next challenge comes up, which reveals the next characteristic or the next habit that Daniel had begun to develop in his life. By the way, the trials of life don't forge character as much as they reveal character. When you're put into the fire, or when your back is put to the fire, uh, so to speak, um, how you respond in that moment reveals the true character of your life. And so much of what Daniel and his companions had to go through, just it wasn't that so much that character was formed in those moments, but character was revealed in those moments. And this was certainly the case in Daniel 2. And so in Daniel 2, we've studied this chapter. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's freaked out by it. He can't remember what the dream was. He knew he dreamed it, and he knew it was scary, and he knew he wanted to know what it meant, but he didn't know what it was. So he calls all the wise men in his, in his kingdom and he tells them, tell me what I dreamed. And they said, okay, tell us what you dreamed, and we'll tell you what it means. I don't know what it was. Remember the story, right? And, uh, and, and, and so then he says, okay, if you don't tell me what I dreamed, then I'll kill you. Now, now he's going to kill all of the wise men. And Daniel finds out about this when the, when the, when the captain of Nebuchadnezzar's army, Ariok, comes and knocks on his door and says, hi, uh, I'm the captain from the army. I'm here to kill you, okay? And so all of this happens. And, but in that moment, Daniel's choice revealed 
the second habit I'm talking about, that he had developed a habit of seeking the Lord. And I want us to see in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 17 what the Bible says. It says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And we read in verse 19, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Seeking the Lord by prayer became a staple habit of Daniel's life. As we read throughout the rest of Daniel's life, oftentimes see Daniel seeking the Lord. Not just during moments of crisis, but we specifically see him seeking the Lord for answers in moments of crisis. Um, But the reality was this was a habit Daniel had already began to develop with God. Um, seeking God, uh, seeking God for answers and getting answers from God. As believers, we ought to be known as a people of prayer. We ought to be known as that. We, do, we ought to be known as a people where the other people in our lives realize, if I have a problem and I don't know where else to go, I'm going to go to him. I'm going to go to her because I know they talk to God. I know they can get answers from God. I know they can seek God. Just the fact that Daniel prayed and knew how to talk to God, there's nothing particularly special about that. He lived in a day where no one else was doing it. By and large, I would say that's true of our day as well. We say that we pray, but for most of us, really not a daily fervent reality. It should be. Habit of excellence. There are several of you in this room. I know if I ask you to pray for me, I'm getting prayed for. I value that. That's how it should be among the people of God. Um, And so God has called us to be a people who have a habit of seeking him and getting answers from him. You read Matthew chapter 7. Um, The Bible says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened unto you. James chapter number four, the Bible tells us you have not because you ask not. The problem is not in the fact that God is not answering prayers. The problem lies in the fact that we are not making a habit of praying those prayers. And uh, so, much, so much that we need to learn and apply to our own daily habits. Let me put it to you this way. Let's bring it down to the bottom shelf. When's the last time God answered one of your prayers? Say, well, I asked him to bless my food today and he blessed it. Okay. One, all right? We're talking about that. When's the last time God answered a literal prayer, little request that you asked him for? I'll tell you mine. I, uh, I, was, I was praying, I was praying, la- uh, it, was, it was last Friday with Fernando. I told you about Fernando. I went out, I got done studying for Sunday, and I went out and I just took a walk with the Lord. And while I was walking, I was thanking him for some people that had been saved. And then I said, you know what, Lord? There have been several people saved, but I haven't personally got to lead anyone to you yet this year. I really like to do that. I said, well, if I can just be part of it, I'll be happy with that, but I'd really like to lead someone to you. And I don't usually come into the office on Friday, but I just felt like I needed to come into the office that Friday, and I come and sit down. I'm doing some things, and Brother Reese brings this couple in, and you know the rest of the story. After I got done, I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> that wasn't me that did any of it. It was God. Answered prayer. When's the last time you got an answer from God? I challenge you with that this week. I'm going to challenge you young people with that. Have you ever prayed and asked God to answer a specific prayer and seen God do it? I remember one time when I was a kid, someone put that challenge to me, and so we were out one day, and um, 
I wanted some ice cream. I thought, okay, give it a whirl. <laughs> I just remember this vivid memory of praying and asking God for ice cream. And when you know it, someone came along and gave us ice cream. I, you know, I remember when I first started giving to missions, I prayed and asked God for the money that I was supposed to give to the missionary that month, and someone came up and gave, and gave me the money that I needed to be able to give to the missionary that month. I remember from early on beginning to learn the importance of seeing God answer prayers. And those types of, when you see answered prayer, you know what that makes you want to do? Pray more, all right? These should, this should be a normal habit for us as believers, there is a habit of separation. There is a habit of seeking the Lord in prayer. Number three, there was a habit of standing. There is a habit of standing. In Daniel chapter 4, um, we read the story again of Nebuchadnezzar. And it's Daniel chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's grand testimony. I love Daniel chapter 4 to see a pagan king converted to faith in Jehovah God. It's incredible. One of the references that we see to Daniel in this passage of Scripture is that Nebuchadnezzar has again a dream. He remembers his dream, but he doesn't know what the dream means, and nobody else can tell him what it means. But Daniel comes in, and he interprets the dream. And basically, the dream was a warning from God that if Nebuchadnezzar didn't humble himself, God had judgment that was coming upon him. He was going to be humbled. And so Daniel gives the interpretation of the dream from God, but he didn't stop there. I love this. Look at Daniel chapter 4 and verse 27. He gives the interpretation of the dream, and then he gets personal. He preaches to Nebuchadnezzar in essence. Verse 27, he says, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. And so here's Daniel standing in front of this king who literally can snap his finger and throw him in a lion's den, snap his finger and, and have him put to death, interprets the dream, and then he gets bold and he stands and says, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to get right with God. I just love the boldness that we see. I love the uh, courage that we see from Daniel. It's the same kind of courage, by the way, that we see in Daniel chapter 3 from Hananiah, Mishael, and, ha- and Azariah when they went to the fiery furnace. It's the same type of courage we later see again in Daniel's life when the Lord sends the, the hand that writes on the wall and Belshazzar wonders, what does this mean? And Daniel stands up again and says, God's telling you he's going to judge you. Well, he just stands up and declares, thus saith the Lord. And so it became a staple habit of excellence in Daniel's life that he was willing, when no one else would, Daniel was willing to stand up for God, for truth. As I thought about Daniel's example here, let me just say, a staple habit that should exist for God's people that we stand for the truth and nobody else will. Some references here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58. <clears throat> the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The Bible calls us to stand fast, quit you like men, be strong in the epistles. Um, and uh, they're all throughout Scripture. Joshua 24, 15, uh, 
Choose you this day who you're going to serve, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We see men and women of God standing for God and the truth of God's Word all throughout Scripture. I was thrilled this weekend to see so many faithful couples in our church here. I was particularly thrilled by couples who taught this weekend. I've had several, uh, several people from everyone's sessions coming up and telling me how much the Lord used it in their life. But one couple in particular came up to me yesterday after, after Brother Ken and Miss Heather's session. And they talked about crisis in marriage and shared a little bit of their testimony and what God had done in their life uh, through the crisis that, that they went through in their marriage. And I had one couple come, to me up, come up to me after their, their session and they said to me, I don't think I could ever do something like that. Stand up there and talk about what, what they went through and, and how God brought them through it. You know, one of the things I thought about when I think about developing this particular habit right here is that I'm thankful we have such strong people in our church who are willing, yes, to own up to mistakes from the past, but also willing to stand up and say, this is what God says. I'll be honest, the truth, that, the truth of God's Word, what God's Word has to teach about men and women in the home, what God has to teach about everything, okay, is totally against the culture of our world. It's not politically correct in the day and time that we live to say any of the things that the Bible says is true. To be honest, I, I personally, I was uncomfortable saying some of the things that I knew God wanted me to say this morning about the trends of churches and, and calling specific ones out and, and all of those things. But there are some times when those things need to be said. And the people that should be declaring the truth are God's people. Ones who are willing to stand up and say, that ain't right, when nobody else will. The people who are willing to get up and walk out and say, we're not going to be a part of this, when nobody else will. And even if you are a voice crying alone in the wilderness, it is your responsibility to declare the truth of God's Word and to take a stand. And Daniel, one of the habits that defined his life, was simply being willing to stand on the truth of God and His Word. That should be a staple of our lives as well. Do the people around you in your life know you'll stand for God? Because I guarantee you, people will test the waters. They know you'll stand for God. Habit of standing. Four, habit of study. Habit of study. I'm going to summarize this. Um, but here in Daniel chapter 4, Belshazzar was partying, and he was using the temple instruments, uh, God's temple, instruments to party with a thousand other people from his kingdom, a thousand other rulers and many other people from his kingdom. While this was happening, you know the story, the handwriting comes on the wall, God's hand begins to write his prescription of judgment against him, and he doesn't know what it means. But Daniel, but, but Daniel gets brought in, and immediately Daniel knew what to say in that moment. Now, of course, the biggest reason he knew what to say was because God gave him the words to say. But I want you to notice something, and I think we've looked at this before, but I want you to see it again. Look at Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. Again, this king, whom this is happening with, his name is Belteshazzar, or Belshazzar. Belteshazzar was Daniel. His name was Belshazzar. Daniel 7 and verse 1, look who we see. In the first year of who? Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. And we'll look at this vision that God gave him because it's 
a prophecy of things to come. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. We'll look at that in future weeks. Chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, here's another vision that appeared unto me. Daniel, Belshazzar was king, I believe, if my, my memory serves me correctly, about 10 to 12 years before this handwriting on the wall was written. And during that time period, he kind of shared the throne with his father. We've looked at that in the past. Here Daniel is in the midst of, the, the midst of a time where Belshazzar doesn't even know who he is. He essentially falls off the scene of history for all of those years. He stayed busy. And you know what he was doing? He was studying. You know what he was doing? He was getting words from God. That's how we got this book right here. God used Daniel to pen the words of the book of Daniel. He's recording these things that, that God was teaching him so much so that when Belshazzar comes up and says, there's this hand that showed up and write, wrote these things on the wall, and I don't know what it means, Daniel is able to take a look at it. Because he'd been walking with God and learning from God, he was able to give an answer immediately to what it was that had been written on that wall. Go back over to Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, this is what Daniel told him in verse 25. He said, and this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekelaparsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God has numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Well, how in the world did he know Medes and Persians were about to come? Because God had revealed it to him. Those visions that we just talked about, that's exactly what they're about. How Babylon was going to start, and then the Medes and Persians were going to come and conquer them, and then the Greeks were going to come and conquer them, and then the Romans were going to come and conquer them, and we'll study that in, in future weeks. The fact is, Daniel had spent time with God, learning from God, and so when it came time to stand up and give an answer, he was ready to do it. It was a staple habit of his life that he was a man who studied God's Word. You know, we have a typical problem in Christianity today. The problem that we have is that most Christians are ignorant of spiritual things, terribly so. Yes, that is because of weak preaching in so many places. We're not perfect. I think that's part of it, but that's not all of it. See, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.15, it's a personal command, you study. Show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You say, well, studying the Bible, that's your job, Pastor. No, it's all of our job. We all have a responsibility to get into the Scriptures and know what God has to say about the issues that we're facing in our day and time. And yes, as a pastor, one of the responsibilities God has given me is to teach the church the truth of the Scriptures, and I understand that. But that does not negate from you the responsibility of knowing your Bible, being able to give an answer. I never get offended when one of, our, one of our members comes and says, will you talk to this person because they asked me a question and I don't know how to answer them. I never get offended at that. I'm always glad also when I hear someone comes to me and says, Pastor, so-and-so asked me this question and I told them this and I just want to let you know. In fact, that thrills my heart even more because that's how it should be. Right? I don't have the final word on everything. God has the final word on everything. You have just as much access to it as I do. That's important and that's why I love small groups we can get into the Word together as a church and go deep and, and find out for ourselves what God has to say. Let me give you one reference here before we move on to the last one. Uh, first, first Peter chapter 3, 
1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15. Here's what the Lord tells us in 1 Peter uh, chapter number 3 and verse number 15. It says here, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Would you be able to say, you're ready to give an answer? Every man would come to you and ask you the reason why you're hoping in Jesus Christ. You ready to give an answer? You should be. It should be a normal habit for us. Now, I'm not saying that every time somebody comes, comes to me with a question from the Bible that I say, oh, yeah, I know the answer to that. Sometimes my answer is, oh, I don't know the answer to that. Let me study my Bible and I'll get back to you, okay? That's okay to do that. The point is we're supposed to be people of the Word, people who know God's Word and know where to get the answers that people are seeking. It's like the old preacher used to say, um, I don't have all the answers, but I know the guy that does, all right? And uh, that's, that's an encouraging thing for us to know. So a habit of study, here's the last habit, a habit of supplication. Habit of supplication. Look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Of course, we know Daniel's enemies had con, uh, conspired against him to find a way to get rid of him. In the midst of all of those things taking place, they, they tried to uh, get him put to death because they knew he was a man of prayer. In the face of that opposition, knowing that if he prayed, he would be persecuted, Daniel 6 and verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew, what, uh, knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. No matter what circumstance he went through in his life, one of the staple habits of excellence Daniel had was that he was a man of prayer. He was a man who knew how to seek the Lord. And, uh, I, you know, I know we've already hit on the subject of prayer, but for me this comes at it from a little bit of a different angle. As Daniel went through this difficult circumstance in his life, he would allow nothing to hinder his time with the Lord. Not even the threat of death hinder his time with the Lord. Tell you what I struggle with. Letting anything and everything hinder my time with the Lord. I'm honest, right? I don't wake up in the morning every day and say, All right, great. Time to get up. Let's go pray. Wish I did, but I don't. Sometimes it's a battle just to get up. See, Daniel, he's in his 80s now. He spent a lifetime walking with God. Here towards the end of his life, they tell him, You need to stop praying or we're going to kill you. Meanwhile, Daniel's in his 80s and he said, Please feel free, okay? Buy me. All right? He wasn't going to stop doing what he spent a lifetime doing. He kept walking with God. He kept seeking the Lord. It's become a habit, and it's something that set him apart. In fact, it set him apart so much his enemies knew that's the only way we can get him, if we make a law against his faith. Right? That's what happened in Daniel's life. And I just want to remind you, and this is the thing that God has convicted my heart about most recently, that is my prayer life. As, I, as I've already said, it seems like the, things that, the thing that I struggle with the most is just allowing anything and everything to take precedence over time with God. Do you have a sincere and consistent time with the Lord? Daniel, you could mark it down like clockwork three times a day. Nothing, not even the threat of being thrown in a den of lions could get him to stop it. How inconsistent we are with our habit of prayer. You know, Pastor, I'm a really busy person. I've got kids. I've got work. I've got... I've got all these responsibilities. 
You think that was, wasn't true for Daniel? Preaching the choir here. One of the habits, the staple habits of Daniel's life that when people looked at him, they said, he's extraordinary, that he simply had a consistent prayer time. Do you have a consistent prayer time? And I told you, none of these things that we looked at tonight, do you look at and say, oh, yeah, that's a super Christian. I mean, he prays every day. Really? It doesn't seem extraordinary. It shouldn't seem extraordinary to us. To have a man who actually did it, he said, wow, he's different. <laughs> he actually practices his faith. To have a man who was willing to stand, even in the most difficult of circumstances, people looked at that and said, wow. They look at that and say, shouldn't that be normal? It's not normal. Go back through all these things and say that. And let me, let me just review them very quickly. A habit of separation, a habit of seeking the Lord, a habit of standing, a habit of study, a habit of supplication or prayer. Wonder what areas you need to allow the Holy Spirit of God for you to grow in. I know what God's, I know what God's spoken to my heart about. <laughs> but he kind of alluded to it to you. What areas do you need to grow in? So that in your sphere of influence, the people that your life touches every week look at you and say there's something different about him or her, not so you get credit, so that you could point them to God, that God can get glory. That's what we're after. So may God help us to develop these habits of excellence in our own lives. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes together. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Not a complicated message, but boy, certainly one that I think we need, needed to be challenged in. I'll ask no, no more questions tonight. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. This is what I'll say. If you're a believer and the Holy Spirit of God has used His Word to speak to your heart, can I challenge you to personally respond?